Welcome back to another Sound Truth interview. I'm your host, Adam Miller. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Elise Fitzpatrick, who is a prominent author of great books and great resources for the church, as well as a counselor and someone who is ministering in the church. It's a real privilege to have her with us today, as we've been breaking down various doctrines over the course of this year. We want to wrap up this whole series by talking about eternity what matters in the the Bible teaching of heaven and the new earth. And she originally wrote this book back in 2016, and we had her on the broadcast then, but I had to bring her back to discuss this very topic because it's so important. It was such a joy to talk to her uh, now six years ago. So Elise, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with you again, Adam. And I'm happy to talk about um, where we're all going. Yeah. <laughs> so the book here is called Home. And the subtitle is here, How Heaven and the New Earth Satisfies Our Deepest Longings. And over the course of this year, so you're familiar, we've kind of been breaking down various doctrines. They've all been leading to this point, which is the grand opus of the Bible, this hope that is promised all the way from uh, the Garden of Eden, and it is a part of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, but for many people, there's this kind of misnomer about heaven. There's this kind of ideas that they've collected here, bits here, bits there. We need to basically have a biblical view of heaven because there's a lot we've got to weed through, isn't there? Oh, there really is. And I think that if you talk to um, just the general public or even Christians about what heaven's going to be like, they have an idea that maybe we're going to be floating on clouds and strumming harps with see-through fingers, or it's going to be a eternity-long church service. Mm. And so um, I just... I, I the topic is so marvelous and so exciting that I think it's really important for us to know the truth. Hmm. I think that's part of the reason why the idea of, of heaven in particular is is so abstract to us because it is so outside of the realm of our comprehension. We're trying to make it make sense within the realm of things that we already know. But we, we can tell that there is a lot of metaphor when the Bible is describing heaven because it's above our comprehension, isn't it? It really is. And so I think that when we talk about what our life in eternity is going to be like, that's one of those places where we can use our sanctified imagination. Mm -hmm. So we take what the Bible tells us, and then we imagine from there, knowing that we're probably going to be uh, way underestimating how great it's going to be. Mm. This, the idea of heaven, obviously, is the, the message that we share with everyone that we want to be saved. We want them to go to heaven when they die, but yet it's not simply a tagline to the gospel, is it? No, it's not at all. And if, in fact, the way that people are thinking about heaven is that you go and float on a cloud, you know, that's not going to motivate me to do anything, frankly. So what I want to do is talk about how really wonderful the new heavens and the new earth are going to be and our life in eternity. Hmm. This idea of heaven, how has it been kind of misplaced or misconstrued in, throughout the history? I mean, we, heaven seems like such a pinnacle point in Christian theology. How does it get so off track? 
Well, yeah, I think that really comes out of Greek philosophy, mm. where uh, the Greek uh, philosophers would say that everything that's material and physical, like our bodies, this earth, that's evil, and what is good is what's spiritual. And so automatically then people think, well, if we're going to a place that's good, it's not going to be concrete at all. And what I want to say instead is that the body and the, the earth is going to be far more concrete than this. This, what we see around us here, is really a shadow of how really wonderful that place is going to be where we're going to end up. Is heaven really important? Is it important to actually have a place, a heaven and a new earth? I mean, when it comes to the construct of a lot of our faith and everything else, it's a lot of life lived here. Is it really essential that we have a real heaven? Can that just be sort of an ethereal idea? Does it really need to be a genuine place? Uh, yes, because we are physical people. And even when we die and we are resurrected, we will be resurrected in physical, actual bodies. So yes, of course, it's, uh, it is important. But what it does, if we get a clear picture of heaven, it's like a person who knows that, let's say they've been hired to collect garbage uh, in, a, in a city for a year, but then they know at the end of the year they're going to get a million dollars for this work they're doing so even though the work might be awful the reward at the end is going to be so great that every day they say to themselves yeah this is difficult but what i'm going to get is going to make it worth it mm. and i think we have to we have to start living that way because if we don't then we look to build kingdoms here and we have to not do that we have to instead know that Christ's kingdom will come, and it is on that new heaven and new earth. Mm. I had to, to do a funeral recently for someone who had been on hospice, and while they were still on hospice, they asked me to come and visit with them, and they had one question. They wanted to, to know if I actually believed in this idea of heaven or if I had just been selling a bunch of snake oil <laughs> throughout my years mm. in ministry. And the conversation was beautiful. It was wonderful. We talked. It, what I thought was going to be a really short visit ended up being over two hours. Uh, but that was the presiding question. Is heaven a real place? And does it have anything that pertains to the life that we're living here? Yeah, and I'm so glad that you got to have that conversation. And that's a good question. Is heaven a real place? Or is this just something Christians talk about? And quite frankly, it's, it's amazing to me how little Christians actually know about this place that they're going. They probably, we probably generally do more study if we're going to do a, have a, two-week vacation someplace, we'll do more study of that place that we're going to for two weeks than we do about this place where we're going to live forever. So it's a great question, and it's an important question for Christians to understand, because if there is no resurrection, uh, as Paul said, if there is no resurrection of the body, and from that, if there is no place where that resurrected body will then live, then we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So we need to know this information. And what it does is it will motivate us and invigorate us to live the kind of sacrificial suffering life that the Christian uh, life is called to. So why should I suffer here if there's nothing there? I mean, that's a good question. But the truth is that there is something there, and it's going to be so amazing that the suffering I do here will be, as Mother Teresa said, just like a, a, a... a difficult night in an inconvenient motel mm. Mm. compared to that. I think in some instances, our understanding of heaven has fallen into the same category of, uh, of, of our understanding of the gospel in some ways. We assume it, right? right. We just we assume we know it, and therefore we don't explore it. It's not something that requires us to understand it. We just accept it, we read about it, we sing about it, but we don't explore it because we've assumed the gospel until we're given questions like that. Do you actually believe that heaven is real? Uh, I'm not sure that too many people would be able to answer that question because they haven't, as you said, spent time processing what the real Bible, what the Bible actually says about a real heaven and a real new earth. And, you know, the Bible's not silent about it. The Bible is, it, it speaks volumes about this place that we are going. It's just that it doesn't fit into the typical Sunday, how am I going to have a better life sermon? Or how am I going to be a better parent sermon? Or you know what I mean. So when we're talking about things that seem impractical, even though it's immensely practical, but it seems impractical because it forces me to uh, study, to think about something that maybe I'm not really familiar with, and then to get familiar with concepts like the new heavens and the new earth that we, uh, we're we just not very aware of. Mm. That leads into another uh, set of questions I think is really important, is that uh, heaven doesn't really affect how we're living here. It's the afterlife, right? It's the, it's where we go after we die, and we re- need practical implications for our life here and now. Our marriage is falling apart. Our children are walking away. How does a doctrine of heaven, as it says here, uh, satisfy our deepest longings? How does it affect us even here right now? Well, like I was saying, if I have a really awful job uh, collecting garbage in, let's say, New York City, and that's not a slam on New York, but let's say that that's my job, well, how do I get up every morning and go do that? What causes me to do it faithfully? It's because I know that at the end of the year, I get this big reward. And so what I want people to understand is the life you're living right now, not only does it matter for the right now, but it also matters in the world to come. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, I think it's verse 56, says, uh, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work for the Lord is not in vain. See, so because, and you know, 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection and the new earth. So, so what Paul is saying is what you're doing here 
even though it might seem mundane, even though it seems it doesn't really matter, that's wrong. It's not in vain. And that work we're doing somehow gets transferred into the new heavens and the new earth to beautify it in some way. I, I don't know exactly how, but I do know that there, that there is a connection there. And also, Adam, because we earn rewards. Mm. And, you know, I'm all about the gospel of grace. And what that means is that salvation comes only by grace, by faith in Christ, by God's grace alone. But we will have rewards in heaven. And that is tied very much to how we live our life now. Yeah, that ties directly to my second question. If if heaven is real and life here is miserable, then why not just coast through this life? What implications does it have in the way that we live here if all we got to do is b- grin and bear it, get through life, and get to that place of heaven that is finally going to satisfy our deepest desires? Yeah, so if... If I don't have a sanctified imagination, a, a hope-filled view of the inheritance that God is going to give me, then the siren call of the world will be very loud to me because you begin to think, again, as Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, well, let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're dying. So why not do that? It's stupid not to do that if, in fact, there's not something later, further. So even with our children, we tell our children, look, I know that this homework you're doing right now is really difficult, but if you do this homework, then you get the good grade, then off we go, whatever, Disneyland, I don't know. (laughs) There's a reward. So that's very much, I think, built into the way we need to think about heaven. But the problem is that most people don't have a concrete enough perspective on heaven and, and that, you know, they think it's just someplace out there when, in fact, eternity, our eternity is going to be spent here on the new earth doing amazing things. That's probably one of the leading points that needs to be corrected, because a lot of us have been hearing about heaven in such ethereal terms that we don't realize that the end goal is not just this uh, place in the clouds, but a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, all of these things recreated in a perfect order without sin, without blemish, without spot. That is ultimately the goal that we're aiming for. I think sometimes we cut ourselves short by just preaching heaven without the full picture. Right. And so, you know, of course, when we die, um, if you and I were to die before the Lord's return, then our body goes into the grave and our soul slash spirit goes to be with Jesus in paradise. And that's called the intermediate state. But then when Jesus returns, then he will resurrect all of us and give us these new bodies which honestly, I'm looking forward to. Um, I have I have a perspective on that, which is kind of like I I look at maybe an acorn or something that's fallen from a tree, and I see it and I say, yeah, that's a crusty looking thing. It doesn't look like it has much in it. But if you put that thing in the ground, 
then it will grow. And that's basically, again, Paul's point. This seed, this, this uh, kernel of wheat gets put into the ground. And then at the resurrection, Adam, we get new bodies, which will be really wonderful. But what will we do with these new bodies that will never die, that will never be ill, that will never have any pain? What do we do with these new bodies? We reign with Christ, he says, on the new earth. But let me, let me give you a little, um, maybe a little story. Let's say that we're sitting around on the new earth and having a picnic. And up walks Jesus, still in his physical body. That's how he was resurrected. He went into heaven. He ascended in his physical body. So up walks Jesus, and we go, Lord, we were just talking about you. And he says, I brought lunch. Let's have a picnic. That, think that way. Mm. That's so much better than, yeah, well, I'm going to float around on a cloud forever or go to a, you know, a worship service. I, listen, I love church. I go to church. I love worship time at church. But that's not all that heaven is going to be. I think that everything we do here that's good, like learning and work and serving people and, and, understand, and understanding new things that God has given us, learning about the Lord, all of that is going to be somehow transferred into the new earth where we will learn and work and serve and all of those good things will continue. And then we'll, all of that will be worship to God. Hmm. The subtitle says that this is to satisfy our deepest longing. What is, what is our deepest longing? Yeah, our deepest longing is to love and be loved. Mm-hmm. Right? So what we'll know when we walk into that what hebrews 12 calls that um innumerable gathering of angels in festal array <laughs> angels at a party when we walk into that party we will know that we are completely known i mean really known all the stuff that goes on in our heart all of our thoughts, totally known, and yet totally loved at the same time. So we will be totally known and totally loved, and we will know other people, we'll get to know them, and we won't spend our time while we're talking to people thinking, I wonder what they think about me. I wonder if I just said a bad thing, or thinking about how you look or any of those kinds of things. Sort of, all of that self-consciousness that came in at the fall in the garden when Adam and Eve realized that they were naked, all of, all of that will go away, and we will be able to love one another and love the Lord and know that we are loved forever. Hmm. There are many pictures of what heaven is going to be like uh, throughout the Bible. Obviously, they can't all be um, literal because they are. There's many. I mean, if angels all have eyes on them, it'd be rather frightening uh, if we get to heaven and that's what the angels look like. But there are certainly metaphors. What What is heaven going to look like, and what What is What are all those stories and pictures of heaven supposed to be conveying to us? Yeah. 
Um, well, first of all, I think that the stories and pictures are supposed to let us know that it's kind of, uh, it's, it's not what, it's not what we're used to seeing. Okay. So that, and you know, that the whole picture of angels, I, I get, hmm, it's probably a pet peeve of mine to see pictures of angels that look like women with wings. Uh, angels do not look like women with wings. Um, they are powerful and mighty beings who um, would take on the form of like a human so that they could talk to people like Mary, like Hagar, so they could do that. Um, but uh, they, they would um, mediate themselves to us. But, but what is it going to be like? It's going to be like a... Some, I, I live in Southern California, so I love to watch the sunset over the ocean and this golden light that comes down and sometimes there'll be like shafts of light through clouds and then it dances, sparkles on the water. It's that kind of golden light that will uh, fill everything so there is no night there. That doesn't, of course, mean that we'll never sleep, but there's no night where um, we where that light goes away the light is the lamb and he will be there always and you know maybe someday we'll sit around and say hey um i just heard that tolkien was doing a a class on imagination let's go listen to him like that <laughs> or or let's go who knows what will happen with the heavens out there you know will the horsehead nebula still be there i don't know Let's go, let's go discover the Horsehead Nebula and where it came from. That sort of stuff forever for the glory of God. So everything that's good here, Adam, your work, your uh, learning, your love of your family, relationships, good godly relationships, all of that gets translated there, but without any sin at all. Mm. <sighs> No pain, no sorrow, no crying, no death, no goodbye, forever. I think in some, some ways it's the contrast that gives people in this world, in this present state, it's the contrast of struggle and the appreciation that makes the things that we actually get out of the end of the day worth value and gives us a lot of appreciation for the things that we have because we've struggled for it. But without struggling, it seems very difficult for us to imagine a world without all of those obstacles that we have to overcome. Well, that's because we live in a sin-cursed fallen world, and we don't just appreciate love for love's sake. When we get there, we will appreciate love for love's sake. We won't need to have suffering in order to appreciate something. And then I suppose if we said, well, okay, we have to see that there's suffering somewhere in order for us to appreciate it, which I have trouble saying, then we can look at the suffering of Christ and see what he's done for us and say, yes, now I really appreciate everything I have here. Hmm. It's Revelation. We'll be joining with the the angels in declaring worthy was the lamb yes. who was slain. Uh, yeah. Worthy is the lamb who was slain on our behalf. There is that understanding, as you mentioned, that love that permeates all of heaven and the new earth. 
Yes. So, you know, the, the two commands, love God and your neighbor, that Christ fulfilled on our behalf and that we are called to obey, that those two commands will permeate every relationship, every, every rela- and every thought you have will only be, how can I demonstrate love for God and my neighbor today? And it won't be like, oh, and that means I got to not do something I want to do. No, actually, that is what you're going to want to do. Because you're going to be cleansed from sin and all selfishness. And And that doesn't mean that we won't be joyous. It actually means we'll be fully joyous because we'll be free. Hmm. When you look at the story of the Bible, this picture is always held out for us. This picture of being united with Christ, to be with our Creator, to be with God, to have the picture of Eden, but even better than Eden. And yet that serves as a hope for us. It should, it should in, in some way be our testimony, our witness to the world, our countenance, as Peter says, that others were ready to give an answer to those who ask us why we're different. How does heaven then affect us differently than it should affect the world and why we should stand out? Well, right, because if I don't have this picture of what is temporal and what is eternal, if I don't have that picture, then I feel like I have to fight for my rights here. And I have to fight for everything I want here. I want to fight for power. I want to do whatever you fill in the blank to wherever your desire runs. I'll feel like I have to do that here because I, I don't really believe that's there. But that's why the early church shocked the Roman Empire. Because, for instance, when there was a plague in a city, everybody would leave, but the Christians would stay. Why would they do that? Well, they were different than the world because they knew they had something better. So they would stay to minister to the people who were dying, and frequently they died themselves because they knew this wasn't their home. This isn't our home. So Perpetua, who is one of the first martyrs, a young woman who uh, had just recently had a baby, and she wanted to be baptized, and so she was going to be martyred, and they begged her, just say, for the sake of your baby, just say that you're going to worship the emperor. And it was basically, no, I have a better, I have a better king, I have a better home, and therefore, I will die mm. for that. See, and that's what motivated the Christians, in, you know, the, the early church. It wasn't because they thought they were going to be able to live their best life now. That was not, their best life was later. And that's what we've got to realize is that our best life is not here. It's there. Hmm. So what does that mean? Does that mean my life has to be awful all the time? No, absolutely not. I have what I think is a really wonderful life. Um, I'm, of course, not living under a communist regime where I, or, a, or in Iran where I am being persecuted for my faith. It doesn't mean that our life here has to be, we have to make our life here awful. Life in a broken world is suffering. 
but we're going to a place where the world will no longer be broken. And so we won't see things like what we would call natural disasters, like the uh, hurricane that was in Florida recently, and all of the people who died and lost everything. We shouldn't call those things natural disasters. We should call them unnatural disasters because that's not how the earth was meant to be. This world is groaning. That was a little groaning thing that we saw. This world is groaning and waiting for the remaking of it so that it will be like Eden, but better. Because now there will be not just two people in a mountaintop garden. There will be multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people from every nation, tribe, tongue, who will all be together inhabiting this planet. I think the picture of, of heaven is a beautiful motivator, uh, but I think it was D.A. Carson who I once heard use that phrase, uh, that someone is so heavenly-minded they're no earthly good, to which D.A. responded, I don't think I've ever met that person. <laughs> uh, because you cannot possibly be biblically heavenly-minded without having some earthly mission and calling and desire to see that everyone could come home with us to this new heaven, this new earth. There is a strong pull of understanding heaven and how it impacts our mission here on earth. And, and we should. And, you know, I think Americans, and I'll just speak to my, my own tribe, Americans here, uh, we have it really pretty easy. Uh, we are living in this incursed world. Yes, of course, we have, there is suffering. But compared to, let's say, the early church under Rome, we have it really pretty easy. So because of that, we don't think a lot about heaven, you know, because it's kind of nice here. And why would I want to go there? But if you lived in South Sudan or you lived in Iran or you lived in China, uh, you might think a lot more about heaven than you presently do. And that's because the life of a Christian is always the life of an exile on the road home. That's always the life of a Christian. We are always people who are strangers and aliens. And we are on a journey. We're on our way home. And we just got to not get sidetracked into anything else that's going to draw our heart's affections. And, you know, Calvin said our hearts manufacture idols. So, you know, I'm going down the road and I'm on my way home, but I'm always seeing things, you know, that are, that's drawing my attention away. I'm going to keep my attention. <laughs> Star Wars, stay on target, <laughs> right? Stay on target. Keep your thoughts and your mind focused on where you're going. And then all of these other voices that call to us and say, come over here, worship here, hang out here, you'll be happy here. No, actually, I'm in exile and I'm on my way home. Mm. I'm going to be focused on that. 
We tell our listeners all of the time to linger a little bit longer at the foot of the cross, to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. But we could also just as easily say to linger a little bit longer in your understanding of heaven, because that is a proper motivation for your ministry here on earth. Uh, For any of our listeners who are struggling, maybe they have family members, children or grandchildren that have not placed their faith in Christ. They obviously want to see them in heaven and the new earth and this home. They want to make their home a place that promotes the home of Christ. What advice or encouragement do you have to our listeners who are struggling with accepting that they are going to heaven? They understand that, but they have loved ones who likely won't. You know, uh, the way that I deal with that in my own heart and mind is simply to say, God is far more merciful and far more powerful than I could ever know. And so if God could save me, and I was not raised in a Christian home, I didn't come to Christ until right before my 21st birthday, having lived a debauched lifestyle in Southern California, okay? So if God could save me, and I was not looking for God, if God could save me, then I have hope that he can save anyone, even if it's in the last breath of that person's life. So do we wish that they would spend their life, not spend their life in futility? Yes, of course. However, I'm so trusting in the mercy of God. And the other thing that I know, Adam, is this. There won't be any crying in heaven. So what does that mean? It basically means that somehow I will be reconciled to the work that God has done. And then I throw myself on the mercy of God and say, please, God, for these people I love, have mercy. Hmm. Hmm. To that end, could I ask you then to, to pray for our listeners who are struggling with the concept of heaven as home, but are also struggling with the notion that they have loved ones that have already passed and may not be there, or loved ones that they want to be there. What, could I ask you to pray in that re- regard? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you haven't left us in the dark. Um, We realize that in some ways we're living in shadow because we don't really see. We just see through a mirror dimly. But we thank you that you haven't left us alone. You've left us with a testimony. You've left us with a testimony, first of all, of where we are going, that it's a place worth living toward and and when we are there we will be so thrilled and so thankful and so free so at peace so we thank you that you've given us that and we also thank you lord for all of us who struggle knowing that there are people that we love who may never have come to faith as far as we know or who still don't believe or they perhaps are even hostile Lord, we pray that you would have mercy, that you would help us to believe in your great mercy and your grace, and that if you can save a murderer and persecutor like Saul, the Apostle Paul, or you could save any of us, that you could save our loved ones, and we pray that you would do so, and that you would give us peace as we deal with these people, that we don't feel like we have to somehow drag them into the kingdom, but rather that we can love them and that you will do your work. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We've been talking with Elise Fitzpatrick. Her book is called Home, How Heaven and the New Earth Satisfy Our Deepest Longings. And in fact, 
Uh, Elise is going to be teaching these at her church there in Southern California. So if people want to see some of these videos, they'll be coming out here in January. Where can they go and how can they see through uh, some of these lectures that you'll be giving? Thank you. Uh, yes, they can just go to my website, which is just Elise, E-L-Y-S-E, Fitzpatrick, F-I-T-Z, P-A-T-R-I-C-K, EliseFitzpatrick.com, and the resources will be there for uh, a 12-week study. For then, every one of the lectures is about a half an hour long. It's on each one of the chapters in the book, so you could go through it by yourself or gather a group of friends and watch it online. Well, what a great resource and a helpful one, and in particular, a one that should move us and motivate us to be at work and the mission that God has given to us to go and make disciples and join with many of the family members of God as we look forward longingly to the promise yet to be fulfilled, the promise of this new heaven and new earth. I can't thank you enough. It was a real joy to talk to you, Elise. Thank you for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Thank you. It's a privilege.